leading us into the presence of the Lord. Oh, the Holy Spirit is uh, here in a special way this morning. His presence is here in a special way. Amen. Open your Bibles this morning with me, if you would, to... Uh, I know you're probably thinking I'm going to say Mark, but we're not going to be in Mark this morning. Uh, going a little different direction for the communion service and the Lord's Supper today. But go with me to Revelation. We're going to the back of the book, to the very last book in the Bible, the Revelation of Jesus Christ. Some say it's the revelation of St. John the Divine, but that's not. And that's what the title of my Bible says, the old King James Bibles. Um, that's what they say, the revelation of Jesus, of D John the Divine. But I don't know how they missed that, because number one, John wasn't divine. And number two, <laughs> and number two, it says in the very first chapter, in the very first verse, very first words, in the book of Revelation, that it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. Yes. Amen. So that's where we're at. The revelation of Jesus Christ in uh, chapter 5, if you will. A lot of people think, you know, they read the book of Revelation, they're looking for the Antichrist. They're looking for, for you know, the false prophet, the beast, all of that. And all of that's contained in there. But the book of Revelation is <clears throat> not about the Antichrist. And the book of Revelation is not about the beast. It's not about the false prophet. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's about Jesus Christ. And some people, they used to tell me when I first got saved, because you know, new converts always want to go first to the book of Revelation. And uh, you know, people used to say, well, if you read the book of Revelation, it'll scare you. Well... <laughs> I don't know why the book of Revelation would scare anybody. It's about Jesus. And when you read the back of it, if you read it all the way through, you'll find out one thing. We win in the end. Jesus wins in the end. Amen. Praise God. So uh, go with me then to Revelation chapter number 5. And uh, I'm going to just read... Uh, verses 9 through 12, okay, for, to save a little time. I, I would love to read the whole chapter, but uh, I would, I'm just going to go to verse number 9 and read verses number 9 through verse number 12. Revelation chapter 5, verse 9. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain, and has redeemed us to God by thy blood, out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. And has made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. And I beheld, and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne, and the beasts and the elders. And the number of them was ten thousand times ten thousand, and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And this morning I want to use for my Subject this morning, the words of that text in verse 12, Worthy is the Lamb. 
Would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. Father, thank you this morning for the precious Spirit of the Lord here today, your presence that is with us in a special way. And uh, Lord, for this service today, what we are getting ready to do to expound your word and then partake of the Lord's Supper. We pray this morning for your anointing upon this message today, for your anointing upon this service for your people today. And have your way, Holy Spirit, in everything that we do today. Help us today to examine our hearts, that we would be where we need to be. Be prepared to receive the communion elements this morning. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Everybody said... Amen and amen. Revelation 5 is um, one of the most glorious chapters, I believe, probably in the entirety of the Bible. Because the scene here in Revelation chapter 5 is a scene that is in heaven. It's something that's getting ready to take place in the future for us as believers. But it's a scene in heaven immediately following or right after the rapture of the church. I believe if you study the book of Revelation, it's really not that hard to understand. There, are, there is a lot of symbolism in the book of Revelation that has, to be, um, that has to be interpreted. But the book of Revelation is laid out in three definite sections. And once you get the chronology of the book and see how it's laid out, it's really pretty easy to understand. People today want to know where we're at. In, the, in, in Bible prophecy, or where are we as far as the book of Revelation? I mean, you know, it's like when the Twin Towers were, were hit in 2001 or 9-11 and they fell, people were going to Revelation chapter 18 and trying to correlate that chapter of the fall of Babylon with the Twin Towers falling in New York City. But we're not in the 18th chapter of Revelation yet. That's yet future that's going to happen. Where, where are we in the book of Revelation? I can tell you right now where we are in the book of Revelation. We're in chapter 2 and chapter 3. We're in the church age. Amen. We've not gotten out of the church age. That's where we are today. And so, but chapter, chapter 4, I believe, and this is what I teach, that chapter 4, verse 1, is a picture of the rapture of the church. When John saw, he looked and and there was a door opened in heaven and he heard that voice, uh, that first voice that he heard, which was the voice of the Lord Jesus speaking with him. And it was the voice as of a trumpet. Amen. I mean, he knows that at the trump of God, the dead in Christ shall rise. Okay, we know that. But uh, I believe that the rapture is in Revelation chapter number four and verse one, the rapture of the church. And so then what precedes that is everything that will take place in heaven and on earth after the rapture of the church. And so the, the fifth chapter of the book of Revelation is a picture. It's a scene in heaven right after the rapture. And, and when you read the fourth and the fifth chapter, you'll see that God is seated there on His throne. And in God's right hand, the Bible says that there's a scroll, a book, the King James says, but it's a scroll that is sealed with seven seals. And um, he's holding that book. We won't go into the details of what that book is. I believe that it's the lease to the earth which Jesus has rightly redeemed and bought back. And uh, he owns it. Come on, amen. But 
The book is in the right hand of Almighty God and there's a strong angel. The scripture says there's a strong angel who offers out a challenge and he asks the question and he says, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And the scripture said that there was a search that was made looking for someone who was worthy to open that seven sealed scroll, to loose those seals, to open that scroll And there was a search made, and no man was found in heaven. No man was found in earth. No man was found under the earth that was worthy enough to open this scroll or to loose the seals of this book. That means that no man, I mean not Peter, not Paul, not Moses, not Jeremiah, not Isaiah, not John the Baptist. There was no man, not even, not even St. John the Divine, as he's called. No man was found worthy to open that book or to loose the seals. And when that announcement was made that no one was worthy, John began to weep. And the Bible says that John wept much and, uh, because it was so upsetting to him that nobody could open this, this seven-sealed book. And so as John was weeping, one of the elders that was around the throne said to John, said, John, don't weep, don't weep. For he said, the lion, there is one, we did find somebody, amen. There wasn't any man, there wasn't any man that was worthy, but uh, don't, don't cry about it, John, because there is somebody that is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals. And he said, the lion of the tribe of Judah has prevailed. And he is worthy to take the book and to open the seals and to loose the seals thereof. I want you to know something today, and I know we know this, but let's be reminded today that there is only one today that is worthy to receive our praise. There is only one today that is worthy to be adored. There is only one today that is worthy. Praise God in his name is the Lord Jesus Christ the lion of the tribe of Judah. And so I, wanna, I want to, to, to dwell on that this morning because Jesus Christ is worthy. And I want you to notice, know something today that He is not just worthy, but He is exceedingly worthy of all of our praise today. He's the focal point of heaven in Revelation chapter 12 as the, the, the host of angels and the host of saints around the throne. When you read Revelation 5 as they're worshiping the Lamb, He is the center point and the focus of our worship. Our worship must be focused on Him. Our music must be about Him. Our praise must be about Him. It's not about me. It's not about uh, some other preacher. It's not about any other ministry. It has to be focused on Jesus Christ because He alone is worthy. So what does it actually mean when we use that term worthy? Uh, The word worthy means deserving. It means having worth or having excellence. 
And those are some words that, that um, you know, are synonymous with worthy. Being worthy is, is, is deserving or excellent. Well, can we agree this morning that if there's anybody that's deserving of our praise, of our worship, it would be the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. If there's anybody that is excellent, amen, it's not you and me, I can tell you that. We, we try to do everything we can for the Lord Jesus Christ with excellence, and I believe that our ministry should be done with all of the excellence that we can give. But there's only one excellent one. There's only one deserving one. There's only one perfect one. There's only one almighty one. And his name is Jesus Christ. We're here today not to just be seen. We're not here just marking time today. We're not here because we just uh, have to check something off of our list for the week and say, well, I made it to church, so now I don't have to think about that the rest of the week. We're not here for that. We're here for one reason. We're here for one purpose today. And if you're not here for this purpose, you're here for the wrong purpose. And the purpose we're here for is to give honor and glory Glory and praise to the Lamb of Almighty God, for He alone is worthy. He alone. Ain't nobody done for you what Jesus has done for you. So He is worthy today. Now, why is Jesus worthy? What is it about Jesus that makes Him worthy today? Why is it that, that He is the only one that is worthy? Well, I want to give you, I want to give you three reasons in a short period of time, okay? Did you catch that? Three reasons why Jesus is worthy. And the first one is this. Jesus is worthy today of all of our praise. He's worthy of everything that we can give to Him. Number one, because of creation and because He is the Creator. In the 11th verse of that fourth chapter, if you want to back up there and look at that, it says this in uh, chapter 4 of Revelation, verse number 11, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. The new King James says, For you have created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. Now I want to make that point this morning that Jesus is worthy because He has created all things and He is the Creator and He has made it all and created it all. And not only has He created it all, but when you look at the, this earth, you look at the, at the universe, you look at the heavens, uh, all of it was made by the Lord Jesus Christ. When, when David looked into the heavens in Psalm number 8, he said, when I, when, I, when I look into the heavens and I see the stars, he said, I see the heavens are the work of your fingers. He said, the stars, the moon, all of that is the handiwork of God. It's the, it's the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. He made everything and He's holding it all together and keeping it all together by His mighty power. Amen. I don't 
don't believe that this universe is running it's just running itself. Amen. I'm gonna hit hit the I'm gonna hit the atheists a little bit, I guess, this morning, and the evolutionists a little bit this morning, because uh, you know, this 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 is a bunch of nonsense. You know, these people saying that there is no God, that everything just happened. Nothing just happened. There was there had to be uh, there had to be a creator, amen, to create. I, I've got a I've got an Apple Watch here that uh, that someone gave me. Amen. Don't say we're paying you too much. You, give, you can buy Apple Watches. Someone gave me an Apple Watch and uh, a, a couple of years ago. And uh, I've got sense enough to know that that Apple Watch or that iPhone that I have didn't just it didn't just spring into being without somebody making it, without somebody creating it. Amen. And uh, so, you know, Jesus is the creator. Paul said it this way in Colossians 1. He said, for by him all things were created. Speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether there are thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he is talking about Jesus. He is before all things and in him all things consist. He's talking about the universe. The entirety of the universe was created by the Lord Jesus Christ. And he is upholding, the Bible says in Hebrews 1 and 3, that he not only created it all, but he's upholding it all by the word of his power. Just by his command, everything's running as he designed it to run. This earth is orbiting, and, and you know, it's not going out of orbit. Why? Because Jesus Christ, somebody ought to say amen. Jesus Christ is causing it all to, to, to operate and to work as he so wills and he so desires. Amen. The, the earth, I mean, time doesn't get messed up. God has got it all under his control. He is the creator of all things. Amen. Hallelujah. So not only did he create it, but he's, he's holding it together. He's upholding the universe by the word of his power. Amen. Praise God. Hebrews 11.3 says that, that the worlds, we know that through faith that the worlds or the universe were framed by the word of God. He spoke and it took place. He said, God said, listen, you've got to get past Genesis 1. Amen. You've got, if you can believe Genesis 1, you've got it made. In the beginning was God. And, and, and God said, let there be. And when God said, let there be, guess what? There was. There's your big bang theory. There's your big bang stuff. God said, and it was. God spoke, and it happened. Amen. How ludicrous is, is this Big Bang, you know, I don't know all about it, but, you know, big explosion took place eons and trillions and zillions of years ago, and everything just phew, turned out the way that it is, you know, and uh, that'd be like, you know, that'd be kind of like, that makes about as much sense as having a big explosion in a salvage yard and getting a Lamborghini out of it. <laughs> you know, it just don't work that way. 
just doesn't work like that. There was a creator. There is a creator. And Jesus Christ is the creator. He's controlling it all. He's taking care of it all. So listen, let, let me just say this. Uh, you don't have to be, uh, pay any attention to the fear mongers that are on that are that are that are touting uh, global warming and that are touting uh, you know um, that the earth's gonna gonna just all come to an end in about 12 years one time they say 12 and then it's another time it's another time and all this and so you know we've got the new green deal coming up because everything's just gonna fall apart within 12 years did, did, can I tell you that's a bunch of nonsense it's a bunch of foolishness it's created by a bunch of atheists that don't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, don't believe in God, don't believe in the Word of God, climate change and all that, it's a bunch, it's a farce. Are you, are you saying that we shouldn't take care of our earth? I'm saying yeah, we should do everything we can not to pollute and to take care of our resources that, that God has given us, but I'm also here to tell you that the polar ice caps are not going to melt and cause this earth to flood because God has already given His command. The Bible said that the ocean and the sea can only go as far as He tells it to go. Not only has he created it, but he is controlling it by the word of his power. I'm telling you, worthy is the lamb because he has created all things and by him all things consist. Praise God. Amen. But not only is he worthy because he is the creator and because of creation, but Jesus is worthy. He's worthy because, secondly, because of Calvary. And this is the focus that we want to zero in on, I think, this morning, is he's worthy because of Calvary. Look at, look at verse number 6. It says, and I looked. This is John speaking. And I looked. And behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain. John sees a lamb. He's weeping because no one is found worthy to open that seven-sealed book. And then one of the elders tells him, John, don't weep. The lion of the tribe of Judah... The, he has prevailed to open the book and to loose the seals. And so when the angel said, or the elder said that to him, the lion of the tribe of Judah will open it. Then John looks in, an, in that direction expecting to see a lion. And this is why I've got my picture out here. Brother Hank Beth bought me that to put in my office some years ago. But he looks to see a lion and when he looks he sees something else. He sees a lamb. Amen? Yeah. Expecting to see a lion, he sees a lamb. And not only just a lamb, but the scripture said that it was the lamb, the lamb that he saw was a lamb as, as though it had been slain. So number one, he's, 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 he's worthy because of creation, but number two, he's worthy because of Calvary because he is the Lamb of God that was sent to come to, as John said, to take away the sin of the world. 
So he is the redeeming lamb. Can I get an amen? He's not just any lamb. Jesus is the lamb of God. He's the lamb that was slain. He is the redeeming lamb. Now, now the, the Greek word that's used there in Revelation 5 for lamb is the word that, that was used when it referred to a sacrificial lamb. And we're all familiar with the sacrificial lamb from the Old Testament when, when, when God instituted the Passover or had Moses to institute the Passover in the land of Egypt. And they took a lamb and uh, God told them, take a lamb for a house and slit the throat of that lamb, kill the lamb, drain the blood of the lamb into a basin and then take that blood with some hyssop and go out and, and put the blood over the doorposts and the lentils of your house. And then everybody go in, roast the lamb, have lamb for dinner that night with some bitter herbs and stay in your house. Because he said, I'm coming through the land at midnight. And he said, when I see the blood, there was one thing that the Lord was looking for when he came through Egypt and that was he was looking for the blood. He's not looking for your church attendance record. He's looking for the blood. He's not looking for for your church membership card. He's looking for the blood. He's not looking for a baptismal certificate. He's looking for the blood. He's not looking for whether or not you've been confirmed into a certain denomination. He's not looking to see if you're a Baptist or a Methodist or a Lutheran or a Catholic or a Presbyterian or a Pentecostal or anything else. When he comes looking, he's looking for the blood. It's the blood that is the token. It's the blood of Jesus. And he said, I'm going to pass through Egypt tonight. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. Every house that does not have blood applied, the blood of the lamb applied to its doorpost and lentils, the firstborn in that family will die at midnight. But when I see the blood, I'll pass over you and you'll be spared and protected. And he said, get in that house, be covered by the blood and don't come out. Oh, there's a message right there. Stay in, under, stay in there under the blood. But the word used in Revelation 5 is that word that refers to that sacrificial lamb. Not just any lamb, but the, the, the sacrificial lamb. It had to be a perfect lamb. It had to be a lamb without a spot. It had to be a lamb without a blemish. It had to be a perfect lamb. It was examined for several days. I think it was put up for four days and examined for four days to make sure that it was perfect and that it was spotless. That's the kind of lamb that's referred to, the, 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 the lamb of God. And he's the redeeming lamb. He's the redeeming lamb that shed his blood. And as the blood of the lamb in Egypt delivered the people of God from Egyptian bondage, so it is the blood of the Lord Jesus that was shed at Calvary that has delivered us from the powers of sin and darkness. What is it that can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Peter said it this way in 1 Peter. He said that we are not redeemed by corruptible things such as silver and gold, but by incorruptible, by, by, by the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have been redeemed. Thank God for the blood of Jesus. And I just want to make a statement just so we're refreshed here. Just so we're reminded here of something today. That the blood of 
of Jesus and faith in His blood and what He did at Calvary, His death, burial, and resurrection is the, T-H-E, capital letters, is the only ticket to heaven. It's the only ticket to heaven, amen? All roads don't lead to heaven. Only one way leads to heaven. And can I tell you, there's not a half a hallelujah of a chance that you or me or anybody else is going to heaven without having the blood of Jesus applied to our heart and in our life. Amen. Hallelujah. It's not, as I said a while ago, it's not faith in a denomination or in a church or in our membership or in our baptism. It's not faith in any kind of, of rights that any kind of preacher can give to us. It's only faith in what Jesus did at Calvary's cross and his shed blood. That's the only remedy for sin is the sacrifice that Jesus made. And that's how we all get to heaven. It's, it's hard for me to, to grasp how that preachers can get on talk shows. It's, it's, it's hard for me to understand why they would want to get on one of these liberal, ungodly talk shows and let them chop them and slice them and dice them. You're casting your pearl before swine. I'm talking about the view. You're casting your pearls before swine. Secular world. You're not to do that. But it's amazing to me how these preachers will get on there and then immediately they'll want to ask them, is, is anybody going to heaven that doesn't believe in Jesus? And that well, well um, you know, um, uh, 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 I guess we'll have to let God decide that. God's already decided that. It's already been decided right here. It's already been decided. Jesus already decided that. Amen. There's no, there's no argument there. There's no question there. He's the redeeming lamb and him only. He alone is the redeeming lamb. And so he's worthy because he is the redeemer. He's worthy to be praised. But there's something else that I want you to notice about this lamb. And that is uh, the lamb... Though it had been slain, when John looked at the lamb, though the lamb had been slain, he sees the lamb standing. Did you notice that? It says that in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain. The lamb had been slain, but now the lamb is standing. And, and it's showing something here, I, th I think we can get this, is that Jesus died, the lamb was killed, he was slain, he shed his blood, he gave his life, but on the altar of that cross, but John is saying, but now he's not dead now, because he's a dead lamb can't stand up. I mean, come on somebody, amen. So even though he was slain, now he's standing. He did die, and he gave his life but he's no longer dead he is alive he's standing up so not only is he the redeeming lamb but I want to present to you today that he's the resurrected lamb are you with me oh Jesus is alive today amen
Death stung him, but death couldn't hold him. And he is the resurrected lamb today. He is alive. When John saw him there on the Isle of Patmos and he turned and he saw Jesus and he fell at his feet and Jesus said to him, John, don't be afraid, don't fear. I am he, hallelujah. I am he that was dead and behold, I am alive and I am alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and of hell. He's alive today. He's the redeeming lamb. He's the resurrected lamb. He's the standing lamb. He came out of the grave. Hallelujah. Death could not hold him. He's alive today, seated at the right hand of Almighty God. Amen. But he's, he's also something else, and that is this. Notice verse 6 again. It says that there stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent to the, all the earth. Now, here we get into some symbolism. Because when John sees this lamb representing Jesus, it has seven horns and seven eyes, And those seven horns and seven eyes represent the seven spirits of God. Now, somebody would say, seven spirits of God? I thought there was only one Holy Spirit. Well, there is only one Holy Spirit. But when you you see this uh, symbolism here, the number seven is the number of completion and the number of perfection. So when it's used here in the connotation of the horns, the eyes, and the Spirit of God, it's referring to the fullness of the Spirit upon the Lord Jesus Christ. So not only is He the, the redeeming Lamb and the resurrected Lamb, but Jesus is also the reigning Lamb. He reigns today. Amen? The seven horns, what does that represent? The seven horns represents, of course, horns symbolize power. And seven symbolizes perfection and completeness. So these seven horns represent our redeeming, resurrected lamb being omnipotent, having all power in heaven and in earth. Jesus said that in Matthew 28 and 18. He is the almighty lamb. He died, but he rose again, and God has hired. God the Father has highly exalted him and seated him at his own right hand and given him all power. I'm talking about Jesus today. Given him all power and might and authority in heaven and in earth. Amen. He is the omnipotent Lamb of God. He's worthy because he has all power. But then the seven eyes speak of wisdom and knowledge. So the, the, the seven eyes represent the omniscience of the Lamb. In other words, not only is He almighty, not only is He all-powerful, praise God, I just got to stop right there and say, can I tell you that the devil don't want anything to do with this Lamb? Are you hearing me? Because He's almighty. He's a strong Lamb. He's the Lion and the Lamb. He's the Lion of the tribe of Judah. Somebody said, well, the devil's going about as a roaring lion. I want to point you to a lion that is greater than the old roaring lion of Satan. And he, Jesus, has defeated the powers of darkness. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. 
He is omniscient. He, he has seven eyes. Now don't go out of here and say, boy, our preacher said that, that Jesus got seven eyes. Symbolically, the lamb had seven eyes, which represents illumination, and it represents his omniscience. He sees everything. Oh, hallelujah. He knows everything. I didn't get too many amens there. He knows everything. His eyes are upon you. His eyes are upon me. He sees it all. He knows it all. He knows what's going on, you know, in every nation of the world, in every home, in every heart, in every life, in every family. I'm telling you, he's worthy because he knows it all. He is the omniscient, all-knowing Lamb of God. Amen? In Psalm 139, David said it this way. He said, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my down-sitting and my uprising. Now listen to this. You, you, you understand my thoughts afar off. Do you know that Jesus knows your thoughts before you even think them? You need to, you need to let that sink in a little bit. He said, you know my thoughts He said, you know my thoughts are far off. You can pass my path and my lying down and you are acquainted, listen to this, and you are acquainted with all my ways. You can't hide nothing from Jesus. Ain't no need in trying to cover anything up. You can't hide nothing from Jesus. He knows what's in our heart. He knows what's in our life. He knows what we did last night. He knows what we did last week. Come on. He sees it all and he knows it all. You're acquainted with all my ways. In verse 4 he says, For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, you know it all together. He knows every word you've ever spoken. He knows every word that you will speak before you even speak it and every thought that you will think before you even think it. Amen. And I think that's why we need to put a watch over our tongue, put a watch over our mouth, guard what we say, guard what we talk about because He knows when we sit down. He knows when we get up. He knows where we go. He knows what we do. He knows what we think. He knows what we say. You can't hide nothing from him it's all open before the Lord he is worthy he's the reigning lamb he's the redeeming lamb he's the resurrected lamb he's the worthy lamb to be praised amen worthy to be praised worthy to be praised but thirdly he's worthy number one he's worthy because of creation he created all things Number two, he's worthy because of Calvary, of what he did at the cross. He's the slain lamb that was raised and that is reigning. You got it? So he's worthy because of the cross. And because he was made obedient, to, uh, well, he became obedient to death, Philippians said, that God, because of his submission to the cross, God has raised him up and highly exalted him and given to him a name that is above every other name that at the name of Jesus. (laughs) 
every tongue should confess and every, every knee bow and tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He is worthy today because of the cross of Calvary. Worthy because of creation, worthy because of the cross, and worthy thirdly, number three, worthy because of His conquest, His victory. In verse number five, Behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, the elder said to John, has prevailed, the King James says. The ESV says the line of the tribe of Judah has conquered. The NASB, the New American Standard, says the lion that is from the tribe of Judah has overcome. The Greek word that is used is nakeo, which is where we get the word Nike. I don't even know why I mentioned them this morning. But the Greek word nakeo means to conquer. It means to overcome. And it means to come off victorious over all of your foes. And so it's said that the, that the, 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 the lion of Judah... The lamb is worthy because he has nakeo, he has prevailed, he has conquered, he has overcome. He has come off victorious over all of his foes. Jesus has won the victory at Calvary in his death and resurrection through the shedding of his blood. He completely defeated and prevailed over all the powers of darkness, over all the works of the enemy. Satan does, have, does not have any business tormenting you. He doesn't have any business pulling you down, defeating you in life because your Lord and Savior, the Lamb of God, your reigning Lamb, Jesus, has has prevailed. He has conquered. He has nakeled. He has, well, let's put it, he KO'd him. Amen. He, he, he gave him the knockout punch, the knockout blow. Amen. I, I read over there in some of the imprecatory Psalms uh, where David sometimes is praying against his enemies and talking about, talking about knocking the teeth out of the wicked and knocking the teeth out of the lion. Amen. What well, can I tell you? As I mentioned a while ago, say, yeah, he walks about and he travels around as, it didn't say he was, didn't say he was, didn't say the devil was a roaring lion, but it said he walks about as one. That's what he's doing best. He roars, he hollers, he tells you what he's going to do. He, he makes you think he's going to tear you apart. But praise God, I've got some news. At Calvary, the redeeming, reigning, resurrected lamb knocked the teeth out of the devil 2,000 years ago. He defanged the serpent. He crushed the head of the serpent and when he rose from the dead, he rose victorious over death, over hell, over the grave. Hallelujah. And Jesus has the keys. He has the keys. He has the keys of death and hell. He is the reigning, conquering lamb and he's worthy because of his conquest and his victory over the powers of darkness. Amen? 
In Revelation 12, I'm, I'm bringing this to, to an end. Revelation 12, we see the picture of, a, of, of Satan as a great red dragon in heaven. And there was battle. There was a battle that went on in Revelation 12. And actually, it's a future battle that will take place in the middle of the tribulation period when Satan will be cast out of heaven, the heavenlies, to the earth. He's the prince and the power of the air right now, but in the middle of the tribulation, he'll be cast down to the earth, having great wrath, the Bible says. And uh, said, woe, that's the first woe, I believe, of Revelation. Uh, there in, in chapter 12, woe to the inhabitants of the earth. Well, the devil, Satan, is this great dragon is cast down upon the earth having great wrath. You don't, you don't want to be here then. But there's something that's said about that dragon, and he's, Satan is, is pictured there as that great red dragon, powerful dragon, and, and being cast down to the earth. But then it talks about how, in verse 11, how he is overcome, how he is defeated. And those that he wars against that know the Lord, it says that they overcame him, that great dragon, Satan. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. See, it's by the blood that you overcome. Somebody gave me a prophecy. I'm, you know, y'all know me. I'm not much on personal prophecies. But, uh, you know, someone gave me a prophecy a couple of years ago or so trying to rebuke me and told me that, um, that, that I, I was talking too much about the blood of Jesus and not enough about the name of Jesus. How do you separate the two? But he made the statement and he said that Satan... Now listen to this. He said, this guy told me, he said, Satan does not fear the blood of Jesus. Red flag. Big red flag coming up, all right? Big, big, big time false prophet. Big time false prophecy. Amen? And the very first verse that came to my mind, because see, I'm not led by prophets. I'm not led by personal prophecy. I'm led by the Holy Ghost and by the Word of God. Amen? And the first thing that the Holy Spirit quickened to me when I read that was that verse from Revelation 12 and 11. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of... I'm going to tell you, Satan fears the blood of Jesus. If you can't think of anything else to say or to pray, when the enemy comes against you, just tell him, Satan, the blood of Jesus is against you. I plead the blood of Jesus against you. I, I am covered by the blood of Jesus. Jesus has conquered the enemy and his powerful blood has been applied to our hearts. Amen. And the Lamb of God is eternally worthy to open the book. He's eternally worthy to take back everything and he has taken back everything that was lost in the fall. He's worthy to be praised and to receive glory and honor and power because of creation, because of Calvary, because of his conquest. I can stand today and say worthy is the Lamb you just well get ready to praise him because he is worthy today to be praised. 
He is worthy to be praised. Amen? Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. Bow your heads with me. Worship team, you can come. Listen, let me read to you. In that fifth chapter, we kind of enter into the throne zone. What I like to call the throne zone in Revelation 5. And there he says, I looked, John said, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne. The living creatures and the elders and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. Saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and such are in the sea and all that are in them I heard saying blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and forever. Can I tell you something, ladies and gentlemen? There will be singing and there will be worship and there will be praise in heaven. And the song that we will sing there will be this song, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. The song that we sing in heaven around the throne will be a song about Jesus Christ. It will be a song about the slain and the resurrected Lamb. It will be a song about the cross and the blood. When John saw the Lamb that was slain, that's telling us something else, that all through eternity, the scars, the nail prints, the, the scars on the brow, the slit in the side, will still, uh, is still and will still be in the body, this, this resurrected, glorified body of Jesus throughout eternity. The Calvary scars will be there for eternity to remind us, to ever remind us of the price that was paid for your and my redemption and our salvation. He's worthy to be praised. He's worthy. The Lamb of God is worthy. So we will sing about the cross. We will praise Him for the blood because He is redeemed.